You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Ernest Hemingway begins one of his short stories with an old joke. He starts the story this way. He says, Madrid is full of boys named Paco, which is the diminutive of the name Francisco. And there is a Madrid joke about a father who came to Madrid and inserted an advertisement in the personal columns of El Liberal, which said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. And about how a squadron of Guardia Civil had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who answered the advertisement. Kind of a joke, not about how common the name Paco is, but how rare the message was. These are 800 young men who know good news when they hear it. Paco, all is forgiven. Papa, all is forgiven. You know, Jesus had a funny expression. He said it again and again. Let those who have ears to hear listen. It always tickles me a little bit because doesn't everybody have ears? And, uh, and, and maybe what Jesus is, is, is saying is, is that, that um, his message is for everybody. But it also may be that in some sense Jesus is saying that it's possible to hear his teaching and not really hear his teaching. Well, tonight what gathers us in this room, all of us, is uh, news, great news. We're not reading about it in a Spanish uh, newspaper, and we're reading news that's far better yet than what Paco received. It's amazing news. But the truth is there's a difference between news that's amazing and, and actually hearing the news, between being amazed and hearing. St. Luke illustrates the difference for us in the life of an all-but-forgotten teenager named Mary. Let's finish the story that we've been reading. Would you look at your uh, bulletin, please, and uh, see the scripture text for this evening, which is Luke chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. Luke continues now with this contrast. He writes, when they saw this, and he's, he's speaking of the shepherds here, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. Notice the depth in Mary's life. She, she's got a spiritual depth about her. And Luke wants us to notice that. Everybody was amazed, but Mary. But Mary... Now, I, there's not a lot of depth out there today. I came up here several years ago from Southern California, and in Los Angeles, we used to say, you got to dig deep to hit shallow in L.A. Um, but this is not true for Mary, is it? I mean, she has, her waters are deep. And it's clear that she's living, I, I don't know where she gets it, you know, she's just a teenager, not much life experience, and yet there seems to be substance there, doesn't there? Where does it come from? I think St. Luke is getting us, giving us some clues here with the way he describes her reaction to the words about Jesus that she gets that first Christmas night. It talks about how she hears, treasuring 
pondering. I want to explore these words with you briefly as an invitation to join her in the same spiritual depth. How is she responding? Well, first, Mary is, I would say, thinking this thing through. She's giving the Christian message, the Christmas message, a hard think. Luke uses the word pondering, which literally means to throw with. And there's an element of conflict to this throwing. Luke will use this word. In the next case, it'll be translated, go to war with. And the time after that, it'll be translated, debate with. She's throwing these words about Jesus together with everything she thinks she knows, the so-called facts that she's previously accepted as true. And there's a clash. We would call this clash doubt. Mary experiences doubt. One commentator says, no one can accuse Mary of blind faith. She's being intensely rational. This is a little surprising to us because somewhere along the way, we picked up the idea that if we're going to come into church or if we're going to entertain faith, we've got to check our brains at the door. Mark Twain said that faith is believing what you know ain't so. Not a very good view of faith. This isn't true for Mary. You and I tend to think that people in the ancient world had uh, low IQs or they were gullible or credulous in some way, but this is not true. This is not true of Mary. It's not the way Luke is portraying her for us. No, she ponders. She thinks hard about these strange words. She challenges them even as she allows them to challenge her. She seeks more evidence. She makes space for doubt. Remember when that angel first came to her, what she doesn't say is, oh, great, I'm having a conversation with a heavenly being. No, Luke tells us she was greatly troubled. This is not right. This is confusing. I don't understand if this is real or not. Is this fantasy? Is this hallucination? What is this? She can't make sense of it. I think this is great when you think about Mary. Mary doesn't believe the virgin birth. You know, so we're in good company if we struggle with that. She says, how can this be? Is it not possible that doubt is a part of the work of believing? I want to suggest to you tonight that if you have never doubted the Christmas story, then I doubt very much that you've even heard it. I mean, just think for a second. It's absolutely stunning what we're hearing tonight. It's inconceivable. Now, there are two angel appearances to two individuals in Luke's narrative. In both cases, both people respond with doubt. There's Mary, and then there's Zechariah, uh, who uh, is the father of John the Baptist. Now, what's interesting to me is that there seems to be no disapproval whatsoever of Mary's doubt, but Zechariah is punished for his doubt. He won't be able to speak until his son, John, is, is born. This seems to suggest that not all doubt is the same, that there is a kind of doubt, Mary's doubt, that uh, doesn't close off thought, but opens it up. There, there's a, a kind of doubt that doesn't uh, settle early on so-called facts, but that explores the evidence. There's a, a kind of doubt that doesn't insist on being convinced, but seeking understanding. Luke is suggesting that it's this pondering 
This hard think that actually brings depth into Mary's life. It has the effect of changing her life. See, when she throws this message against her beliefs, there's a clash. It's not so much that the words change, but what she assumed to have been facts of her life begin to shift underneath her feet. And in in that movement, her life is changing. And we need doubt like this. Without doubt, we don't discover, we don't learn, we don't grow. And it would be impossible for us to ever be surprised. And a night like tonight, my friends, there is something very surprising happening. Are you willing to be surprised? There are two responses, as I say, that distinguish Mary's hearing from the general response that these words have in Bethlehem that night. It's a... Two responses that bring depth. And the first one is she ponders. She thinks it through hard. The second is that she holds it close. The second, Mary is holding the Christmas message close. She's keeping it in the center of her heart. The word Luke uses for this is treasured. Treasured. It literally means to keep with, not to throw with, but to keep with. Her pondering is inside of her treasuring. She's preserving these words, protecting these words, valuing them, holding them close to her heart. She would cherish them. It's true, these words are raw, they're wild, they're disturbing, they're incomplete, they're confusing, and yet at the same time, they're unspeakably wonderful. They're irresistible. She's not going to let these words go. She's not going to even let them allow, let them take second place in her life. She's not going to pick them up from time to time. She's not going to carry them in her hand or on her back. She's going to carry these words in her heart, which is to say they're not just going to accompany her. They're going to direct and drive her, the movement of her life. It's kind of interesting as I pondered this myself. I thought... How is that possible? How could she so fully embrace what she so minimally understands? I mean, how could you embrace at the same time that you find yourself doubting? Well, just note that she does. Luke tells us so. And I thought, is this unusual, actually? I mean, the fact is that I fully embrace things that I don't understand all the time, like my smartphone. I have no idea how that thing works, but I'm completely committed to it, right? (laughs) Or air travel. Trust my life to it. Really don't understand how it works. Or, frankly, my wife. Have no idea how she works, but I'm, you know, I embrace her fully, okay? Why do I think that in order to embrace something, I have to understand it completely, that it has to make sense to me? Is there so little mystery in the world? Is there so little wonder in my heart? Mary in her treasuring, is creating space for mystery. And friends, if you and I want to have anything to do with God, we have to do the same. God, by definition, is something, someone bigger than we can even imagine. So maybe the question isn't how could she so fully embrace, but rather how not? How could she not embrace news that is so irresistibly good. Let's think for a moment about the nature of the news that Mary receives that night. It's wonderful. More than wonderful, it's what Luke calls good news. 
Remember, Mary is pondering and treasuring what she has heard from the shepherds. And the shepherds have shared with her what they have heard from an angel. And we were already told what the angel said, do not be afraid, I am bringing you good news. There's the phrase, of great joy for all people. Now that phrase, good news, is something of a technical term for an ancient media form that was used after a battle. It was a victory language. It was language of the end of the war and a peace that had come. If the king on the battlefield had been victorious, he would send a scrawny little youth huffing and puffing back to the city as a herald to proclaim, and here's the word, good news. And what the herald would be proclaiming was something that had been achieved by the king. The king would speak through the, uh, the herald something like this, my people rejoice. The battle is won. I am coming to meet you. All is at peace. Your great king. I think Mary teaches us that, well, if I struggle to treasure the Christmas message, perhaps it's because I've fundamentally misunderstood it. Perhaps it's because I thought it wasn't good news so much as good advice. And I want you to remember that there's a great difference between good news and good advice. Good news is a report of what's been done. But good advice is instruction for what you have to do to improve your life or to fix the problem or to get on someone, maybe God's good side. Good advice is all about rules, instructions, law, what you have to do. Good news is all about grace, freedom, victory, what God has done for you that you could never do for yourself. So here we are in church this weekend. Someone may ask you on Monday, so what would you do this weekend? And if you tell them you went to church, they may say, oh, so uh, you're a Christian then, are you? Now, how would you answer that question? If you find yourself tempted to say, well, I'm trying to be, be very careful. Because I think if that's your response, then it's true that you're not a Christian. Because Christianity is not good advice. It's good news. The biographies of Jesus are all called Gospels. That's another translation for the same phrase, good news. You haven't heard anything from Jesus if you haven't heard good news. That it's not about what you and I do or don't do, but it's about what God has done in reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. So Mary teaches us to say on Monday to our friend, oh yes, oh yes, I'm a Christian. Not because of anything I've done or promised to do, but simply because what our great king has done in Jesus. And I hope you are too. This is Mary. There's no advice for her in these narratives. Can you find any advice? Does anyone come an angel and say, this you must do? No. She herself says in the Magnificat when she rejoices, the great one has done great things for me. That's what she said. He has done. This is about what he has done for us. The words that night were amazing. And the depth comes from pondering and treasuring them. A hard thing and holding it close. 
Well, I think we can all be Paco tonight, can't we? Listen again, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. It's a simple, life-changing message that gathers us together tonight. And brothers and sisters, I want to say, in a world of fake news, in a world where words are increasingly divisive and distressing, in a world of apocalyptic fears, there's never been a time like now for better news. And we find it tonight around a manger. Like a long-forgotten Papa, the creator of the universe, has watched this weary world of beloved Pacos tear one another apart. He has seen us run from his open arms and be overrun. He has watched us hurt and be hurt, lose and get lost, and it has broken his heart. Generations have passed, and in the fullness of time, he has taken out a personal ad. Well, no, not a personal ad. He has come as a person, a baby. He has sent us a message like Papa sends a message to Paco, and the message is not fix your life, improve things, clean it up, and maybe your mother and I will take you back at home. The message is, I have come for you. And I have overcome every barrier between you and me. I have overcome the obstacles of your life and death, your sin and sorrow, your dreams and your nightmares. I have overcome the obstacles of your certainties and even your mysteries. I have overcome time and space itself to be with you tonight and for eternity. All is forgiven. I want you to know who's sitting around you this evening. I have the privilege of seeing your faces, and I know some of your stories. And behind you, or in front of you, or next to you, there's a miracle, just like Mary. I say a miracle, even though I know our lives are extremely ordinary. There's someone with ADHD. There's somebody with pancreatic cancer. There's somebody in a really hard marriage. There's an estranged parent right there around you. We're all sinners. We all have doubts, for sure, and yet we're all believers tonight, all of us. And it's because of that we know that it's not what we've done or haven't done that's the most important thing about us. It's, it's what he has done for us that really matters. You see, so what we want for you tonight is for you to know that you're one of us. You're, you're one of us. And soon, we're all going to go out these doors. And our questions aren't going to be answered. I promise you that. And our problems aren't going to be solved. I promise you that too. But you can go out tonight knowing you have been reconciled to God, that you have peace, and that you're being commissioned as an agent of peace simply because you pondered the good news and treasured it tonight. As Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear listen. All is forgiven. Let's pray. God, it's 
is so wonderful. Forgive us tonight if we just dare to believe it's true. We want to join Mary in all of her confusion, but we sure want to join her in all of her wonder as well. We thank you that you have looked on us not in anger, but in love. That you haven't demanded that we come to you, but that you have so gently, lovingly come to us. Give us the freedom of knowing with assurance that we belong to you, that all is well. Give us the boldness of daring to live subversive lives in a world of hurt and pain, holding forth words of good news and peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.